This is Polyoptics. Shining a light on the theater of politics. Now, from Washington, D.C., here's Adam Belmar. Welcome to Polyoptics, a first-of-its-kind show here on POTUS, Politics of the United States. You know, we're going to do something different on this program. We're going to pull back the curtain on the events that shape American politics and drive the images and headlines in the news. You've heard me on POTUS before. I'm the former White House production chief in the George W. Bush administration, spent many years as a network news producer in Washington, and now I advise clients on the effective use of visual communications. Our mission at Polyoptics to reveal the stagecraft and production values that create the narrative of American political theater. First, with us today, Josh King, my partner in crime, co-founder of the website polyoptics.com, and during the Clinton administration, Josh was also a production chief at the White House. He, too, is now an executive in corporate communications. Josh, thanks for being here. Adam, thank you very much. Great to be here, even connected by satellite New York to D.C. Josh, you really conceived of the word polyoptics, a mashup, if you will, of, of optics and politics and the art of producing and creating meaningful and iconic events and images that surround our politicians. Talk to me and the audience for a second about how you started to showcase and share your love of this with people through lectures that you were giving in major institutions, colleges around the nation. Adam, you know, it's ironic that we're using the medium of radio to talk about image, but there you go. I mean, here we are talking about the theater of the presidency. And as I think back to my love of <clears throat> the history of, of the broadcast image and the written word, you know, it goes back maybe to uh, the RKO Mystery Theater when I was uh, just a boy listening to old tapes. But if I think about it, Adam, polyoptics is the realization of a childhood dream, but one that you only knew in retrospect was a dream. I was a kid growing up in Boston, Massachusetts, and found myself drawn to images of history, iconography, uh, the things that told the American story throughout our you know, 230, 240 years here. And if I could have pegged at the time, back in the 1970s, what I wanted to do in my 20s and 30s, it would have been producing the presidency. And what you saw this week at the White House with uh, the state visit by the uh, The Chinese president, yeah. uh, And all the pomp and circumstance that accompanies it, there you and I were in our day, Adam, producing those same moments for other dignitaries back in our time. So it was, for me, from 1993 to 1997, just the realization of everything I wanted to do to be playing on the stage of history that day, knowing that I was just a bit player in a 230-year drama. You know, it's amazing. I love it when you talk about that from when you were a kid. I grew up in Washington, D.C., And I grew up in a part of town where I was surrounded by politicians. I grew up in a house that was at one time occupied by George H.W. Bush. Uh, I I, I lived in a room that that was once lived in by George W. Bush. And I later went to work for President George W. Bush, the 43rd president, you with uh, Bill Clinton, the 41st president. Um, It is unbelievable to me. I say 41st, really 42nd. I shouldn't get that wrong, should I? 
<laughs> um, but uh, it, it's just that was the same feeling that I had. And I love, you know, I think a lot of the way that the world perceives American politics and politics in general is heavily leveraged by the visual, the, the video cameras, the still images. It says so much more oftentimes than the words that are spoken in some of these events and speeches. Well, just think about the experience that any of us have as consumers of news. The people who are listening to this broadcast are probably driving up and down the interstate. Maybe they had a, a chance to take a glance at the top of the fold of their hometown newspaper before they left for work. And if the process holds, maybe the picture at the top of the newspaper caught their eye. And, may, and that picture is going to have to tell the reader the story of what went on yesterday because in, in so many cases, who really has the time to sit and absorb the whole story, let alone flip to the back of the front section and read the op-ed and understand the analysis? We love to do that. But so often, just the image that's on that page one or the bits of video that play over a, a, a voiceover on, the, on uh, cable or the evening news has to tell us in a visual way what went on and shape our opinion. And so it, it might be interesting, Adam, to break down where that word came from because it was May 2009 and I was sitting in a boardroom uh, talking with some clients and perhaps daydreaming a little bit, uh, thinking back to when I left the White House in 1997, my successor in the Clinton White House, a guy named George Caudill, handed over the reins in President Bush's administration to your predecessor, Scott Sforza, and then ultimately to you. And I had actually been thinking for that 12 years since I had left, how do, I, how do we really describe in a mashed up way what we do? And I thought back to those so many trip meetings and event meetings that we had at the White House where the chief of staff or the director of communications would say, what are the optics on this? What's the picture going to be? And so optics plays such an important role in the business of politics. And if you take the word politics and combine it with optics, you have polyoptics. Now, I went online. I said, boy, is this URL available? And sure enough, there was the birth of a new word because it was one that hadn't and been taken and That's available. right. And we have a website that uh, is up. It's a companion uh, to our Polyoptics radio show. It's polyoptics.com. And, you know, people who listen to POTUS radio here on Sirius 110 and XM 130 know that they can get that long-form, really sort of the first draft of history here on POTUS where we bring everybody into the room and let you hear from pillar to post uh, some of these major events that you can't find anywhere else. But the great thing about it when you put it through the lens of polyoptics is so much work went into both the conception of the event, what the image was going to be, and what you were striving to communicate in a visual way. And again, that's really what both you and I uh, have had great success at doing in our time in the White House. Um, and, and some of the stories that go along with what goes on in the background and, and how things actually come to fruition uh, make for some really wonderful backstories. And I think over this coming year, as we continue on with Polyoptics Radio, we're going to be able to share some of those stories and talk to some really smart, very interesting people who shared in that drama together. Now, as I said, Adam, it was uh, that was May 2009 when I just sort of took a piece of paper out and started jotting down names. The prior month, April 2009, I had done 
what probably my wife wished I hadn't do- hadn't hadn't done, which was I called the new occupants of the White House in uh, President Obama's advance office, and I said, "Hey, I've got a few extra weeks. Uh, do you have anything that I can help you do?" And you they wanted said, to get back in. You you <laughs> wanted back in, didn't you? Well, it was like dinosaurs coming back to life. You know, Adam. Uh, it, I, I was trained in. I dare I say it. Michael Dukakis and Lloyd Benson's presidential campaign in 1988. But you weren't responsible for the tank, right? No. I know who was. I won't reveal it here, but we could have him on the show in a future episode. Should, and, I, uh, should, I, should I disclose right now that I also was not responsible for uh, the Mission Accomplice banner? Should we just get that out of the way? It's worth saying, I okay. think, because <laughs> uh, there's a, so much written about that moment. And and actually, in one of the uh, posts that we have at polyoptics.com, Adam, I go into some detail talking about Mission Accomplished. And I actually went on Brian Williams' show on MSNBC that very evening and with full of admiration, actually, for the event. I thought it was executed perfectly. Uh the, the landing on the Viking, on the a- Abraham Lincoln, uh, President Bush in the flight suit, uh, later on the speech uh, backed up by a, a sea of uh, sailors in their color-coded jerseys. And the only problem with that event was the words themselves, mission accomplished. Did Had you identify it a- as a problem that night? Did you see it for what it would later become? I, I don't think I had the—it was within hours of the event, and I was just— Frankly, in uh, in in awe of of pulling that event off in that level of complexity, you know, when I was at the White House, we had a G7 summit planned in Halifax, Nova Scotia, and so I took out my marine charts and I wondered, could it be possible that President Clinton could board a Navy atom- uh, nuclear a- nuclear submarine and actually cruise into the port of Halifax in a sub? To arrive at the G7, and you know, I, I, I had enough, I had enough foresight to not even bring that up in the Roosevelt Room because it would have been shot down immediately. But but that's but they, the way you were thinking, and I love that. But there they were in the Bush White House, actually doing this, putting the president in a cockpit, knowing that there'd be no yeah. Secret Service accompaniment, just the pilot and him flying from San Diego, doing a tail hook on the Lincoln, and if and but for those two words that really created such a message debacle for the Iraq War message. Uh, it would have been a perfect event. It was. It, so. You know, in a lot of ways, and I want to sort of share with you where I was, I also uh, was was really involved in and watching very closely that event. I was working for ABC News. I was a producer at Good Morning America in those days, and I had been out there in San Diego for a full week beforehand. We knew this was going to be important. No one really understood how well choreographed Scott Spores and the rest of them had this presidential event, you know, catching the three wire on the deck of the uh, of 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 the uh, the Lincoln. But uh, we we did know that there were some great personal stories, and that's the kind of thing that extended that that imagery in the in the sort of fresh and really poignant elements of of that event, and 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 made it ring home or ring true with the American people. But I watched it. I was out there in San Diego. I wasn't on the ship, but it just blew me away. And one of the things that I love, and you tell me if this has always been your experience, when when I was at the White House later and, and always when I was a television producer, you never get to see the fullness of an event, Josh, 
uh, unless you're there, of course, until a few days later when all of the pictures have come out, when AFP and the Associated Press and Getty Images and, and, and all everyone's turned in their photos and you can go in, in a sort of macro way and start to understand all of the angles and all of the imagery that, that, that came out of an event. I think that's right. Uh, it was remember that was a really interesting uh, actual time of day that the event was scheduled. It was three p.m. on the west coast, that's right, and six p.m. back right east, before the evening newscast. Ready, right, ready for the evening news, and the sun was beginning to get into what you and I both know as magic hour. When the sun begins to fall a little bit onto the horizon, the ship was positioned just so, so that uh, during the speech itself, uh, a golden glow fell on the president and the sailors behind him. And you, you rarely get to see these events happen uh, live around news time on the East Coast because it would just be dark as night back on the East Coast. But there it was, beautiful daylight uh, in San Diego, and we were watching a live event, and there were so many cool bells and whistles to that event that it was something that MSNBC, Fox, CNN all said, hey, we're, we don't have enough we don't have any better programming this afternoon. Let's carry the whole thing live. And they did, and a lot of people uh, paused to watch. Interesting contrast, shooting ahead to 2008, total lack of artifice, Barack Obama's race speech in Philadelphia. Obviously, the setting was important, the Constitution Museum, uh, but not a lot of bells and whistles, uh, just a, a simple backdrop of American flags. And again, it... So much had happened between uh, the Abraham Lincoln uh, event in 2003 and this one in 2008 that we didn't need to watch online. So many, watch on tube. Everyone watched online in a live way, and then everyone watched a quick replay online. So yeah, the, it was one of the first times people watched an event from beginning to end online. Being part of creating uh, political imagery part of producing the presidency, and really polyoptics uh, is a lens through which we can view, uh, I think, all of American politics, which is, is really quite wonderful. Uh, it, it's, 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 it's an evolutionary process because the media itself, the way we appreciate what's going on is also changing, and you know, styles and tactics and strategy have to keep pace. What I want to do for a second is try and turn uh, us a little bit towards the stuff that's gone on this week. If you're a polyoptics, optics lover, you've got to love what's been going on in Washington this week with the uh, arrival uh, of the, the, the Chinese president who, um, here in Washington, D.C., for a grand state visit that incorporated all of the trappings, almost all of the trappings of, of a state visit, um, my sense was that the Obama administration really did an excellent job. Was, is that what you thought about the, what's transpired here in D.C. over the last few days? Uh, yeah, I, I think the, the one the interesting thing is that a state visit has so many uh, built in components that are consistent from year to year, exactly from administration right. to administration. So the and, and that's so important when the Chinese advanced delegation comes for meetings at the White House or with the shoe on the other foot, you or I would go to Beijing. I spent some time in Beijing. And, 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 we, and we would hear, and we would ask, well, could we do this or could we do that? And they said, no, the package for His Excellency the President of the United States must be the same as it is for other heads of state. And so... So are you saying the turnabout is fair play? Sure. <laughs> we get treated the way we treat them? 
I, I mean, it's what happens at the fringes, isn't it, Adam? Yeah, it is. That, that, that you have a wonderful event, and, and, and although in the modern day, you have an, an opening for a guy like Jon Stewart to look at the colonial fife and drum corps that march in front of uh, President Who and President Obama and say, there's the United States showing off its modern military might. <laughs> uh, but but it's, it's, what, it's how creative can, the, can an American host and a Chinese visitor be to say, Look, I want to visit a uh, I want to visit a school, or I want to visit a manufacturing plant, or I want to do things that might make the American public more at ease with what they might perceive as a Chinese threat. So that's really towards the fringes, right? That's the one-off, maybe that we saw with this summit with uh, business leaders, where you had this uh, rather tasteful. Um, hollow squared meeting and when we say hollow square we mean these tables that were set up such that you had people all around the outside everyone can see each other and you had president who president obama and 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 they're sitting there in the white house in the old executive office building the eisenhower executive office building meeting with with american ceos talking about business talking about trade that's not a normal thing for a state visit but it worked really well optically i thought Oh, absolutely, and, and I think it's uh, it's probably just it's just and it's just one of the other set pieces. Then President Hu goes up to Capitol Hill. A, a, interesting photograph I saw in the Wall Street Journal today. Uh, you see the back of a of a lawmaker's head with President Hu across the table, and it's identified in the caption as Harry Reid, and it just shows again that that the. Uh, the deference that you must play as a visiting head of state to touch both the executive branch, which he did at the state of the, at the, at the state arrival, but then move over to Congress, where there are so many conflicting uh, viewpoints toward China, uh, and you saw that reflected in who accepted invitations to the state dinner or not. Yeah, no, that, you know, I, I I really wanted to to sort of hone in on that for a second and and have you tease that out a bit, because I want people to know that when you're listening to Polyoptics Radio, you're going to be hearing uh, us. This is not a partisan radio show. We are definitely talking about politics. But as producers, we are inherently cynical. We, 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 we love to think about what might go wrong. We, we have a great idea about what we want to see, but uh, also a sort of, uh, correct me if, if you disagree here, Josh, but uh, a pretty real or realistic perception of that people may see things a different way, that even with the best of intentions, it may come across differently. And as you say, we didn't have all a sort of monolithic American government leadership showing up uh, at one end of, of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue for the state dinner. There were a lot of notable absences. And yet, even with some very harsh rhetoric in the news around the meeting with congressional leaders, Harry Reid first among them, he still did give that standing, shaking hands picture that says, I do offer deference and respect at the right moment to the, to the visiting president. That's right. And and wasn't there a lot of real politique at play in that? And also, if you look at the uh, attendee list of the state dinner, uh, you have your usual um, members of both delegations on the at the executive level. You have um, uh, entertainers and cultural leaders, uh, people with of Chinese heritage. But Look at that dozen or so major CEOs that were on the list headed by a guy like Jeff Immelt. And coincidence or not, that this week 
uh, President Obama names uh, Jeff Immelt. To- oh, come on now, no, no uh, coincidence <laughs> at all. I, I love how. You, well, but but really, it was it was perfectly planned. You know, and, and as soon as uh, the the president of China is gone, President Obama is with Immelt up in Schenectady, New York today, holding a really important event that leads into the State of the Union and jobs. That's right. It'll be a very interesting test tonight, Adam, about how much airplay uh, a visit to Schenectady and the images that are that were planned for a week in advance by the advance team that went out there make it uh, into the into the zeitgeist or, or, or the image bank of, of viewers and readers of tomorrow's newspapers. You know, I didn't get a really great look so far uh, at, uh, at that event, but from what I can tell, and, and I've said this to you for some time, it was not a particularly, um, and I don't want to say it wasn't well produced, that may not be fair, but it was not a uh, an event that was overly produced. I, I didn't see very much messaging. It was dark. It didn't engender, at least at first glance, everything I might have hoped for. But it was at least, I think, consistent with the way they tend to do things in this White House. It was, let's say, an effort. Um, I've not been, uh, I've said a couple of times that I think that the way Ronald Reagan did things, and Mike Deaver, the way Bill Clinton and his team did things, and the way uh, the Bush administration, of which you were a part, did things, really worked the theater of the presidency to progressively more interesting levels, one on top of the other. Right. And I think they made a conscious decision when President Obama came into office and the, t- and the people that staffed the communications office to say, let's really tone down the theater. And maybe they did it to their detriment. The one thing I would say is that I've heard say many times is that for President Obama and for George W. Bush, there's only one poll that matters, and that's the re-election campaign. That's exactly right. And so, you know, if his health care events last year were a collective downer, well, he used his majorities to get health care through. If his poll approval ratings dipped to historic lows uh, up to the midterm election, election result and right after before they had such an impressive legislative accomplishments after the election. Well, maybe that's the price you pay to get all that stuff through when you have the majority that you have. And what it really will all come down to, Adam, and you and I both know, is not what happens today or at the State of the Union next week or this summer, but a year from this summer when we really are in the throes of re-election. Well, Josh, you're, you're absolutely right. I know we've also got a really special guest with us as well, Jonathan Prince, who's a, a partner at the firm of uh, Klopak, Leonard, and Schechter uh, here in Washington, D.C. But more importantly, Jonathan, you have served uh, both President Obama and in the Clinton administration. You're a, a former Deputy Assistant Secretary of State. You're also, for the purposes of our polyopsis discussion, a former presidential speechwriter. Welcome to Poly. Optics Radio. Thanks a lot. I'm very glad to join you guys on your uh, inauguration day. That's right, our inaugural broadcast. Uh, Jonathan, you know, we were talking, Josh and I, about uh, the upcoming State of the Union as well. Having been in the room drafting the speech, you know, Josh and I have also had our roles in preparing presidents and being a part of the uh, the, the image creation around the State of the Union. But, but 
the words and the speech and the narrative and the flow and the themes are really at the heart of it. Will you talk to us for a second about what that's like to work with a president on a speech like the one we're about to hear next week? Yeah, of course. Uh, first of all, I'd say that I imagine, and I don't know firsthand because I haven't been a speechwriter for President Obama, but I imagine that President Obama approaches speeches in a similar fashion to President Clinton because they are both writers and both uh, real thinkers and both very much uh, in command of the language and the atmosphere of uh, their speeches. And so I imagine that, uh, and I'll talk to you a little about the Clinton process, but I, I would just kind of want to throw that out at the top because I think that the Obama process is probably similar, although I can't speak to it first. And he is a great writer and he's known, you know, Josh was talking earlier about, you know, that really important sort of watershed speech on race, which we know was penned by the president, his words, his thoughts. You know, he works well with his speechwriters as well. But what's the process behind a State of the Union? They're different speeches than others, aren't they? State of the Unions are, are very different speeches than other speeches. One, because they're so l large, they're so long, they are in their scope required to touch really the all of the you know major agendas of the government. They've got to touch all the domestic agenda, all the foreign policy agenda. They've got to capture a sense of the moment in time and in history. They've got to look back a little and look forward. And so, and and then there are just a lot of programmatic demands on State of the Union addresses as well. The State of the Union often serves as a kind of uh, launching pad for the president's budget. Uh, you know, budgets at the end of the day really are statements about priorities and agenda. Uh, but, but, but all of that together, you know, conspires to make a State of the Union different than a, a speech on a, a you know a more uh, confined subject matter, you know, an Oklahoma City memorial address or the Tucson speech that the president just gave. Right, and that was just effect. a really rich and very emotional and very honest and authentic speech. Not to say that the State of the Union won't be, but Josh, we were talking about you know some of the things that that go into sort of making that interface with the American people uh, what it is, including getting the camera angles right. That's right. You know, Jonathan can talk at length about the trying to quantify the hundreds of hours of writing, editing, rewriting, practicing that goes into the speech. And at the end of the day, it's a television production. Where, it, it, exactly. Thank it, you for saying that. Where the final text gets in, comes from Jonathan uh, and gets into my hands. I run up to Capitol Hill <laughs> into the network pool production truck, having highlighted and circled as many names or ideas as I can that will link to people that either will be in the joint session or up in the gallery and trying to make suggestions to the pool producer to yell at the cameraman to say, I saw on President on Senator Kennedy, I saw on Senator Clinton, uh, go up to the gallery and see the First Lady, uh, just so that back at home it will, the whole narrative that has been worked on for so many weeks back at the White House will come into something that is actually enjoyable to watch. I love that, uh, you know, it's it's not so. I want people to realize, you know, you're, you're listening to Polyoptics Radio here on POTUS, Sirius XM, and, and we're talking to, uh, to to Jonathan Prince, former speechwriter for, for Bill Clinton and also served in the Obama administration, and, of course, Joshua King. Uh, you know, I call him the father of Polyoptics. He's my partner in this and in our website, polyoptics.com. But he, he's someone who was a predecessor uh, of mine, uh, 
at the at the White House. We followed in his footsteps, and you know this idea that that you are working with your brothers in the media to sort of help showcase you know, who is going to be talked about and where they may be. I had the exact same uh, experience in producing the State of the Union uh, for George W. Bush, where we'd want to get that script into the hands of uh, the pool producers so that they had a fighting chance of keeping up and bringing to life what we imagined in our own minds, and I guess ultimately, Jonathan, what the speechwriters and the president hoped would 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 be the visual complement to the words that were being spoken. That's right. I imagine that Josh may have had a slightly greater uh temporal challenge than you did, given uh, President Clinton's <laughs> penchant to revise and edit the speech okay, right can, up until three minutes before the speech was supposed to start. Can I throw, I don't want to, I don't want to throw, I'll throw out a name that I think maybe all three of us uh, know. There's a, a fellow who's been around the White House longer than all of us combined, uh, who works for WACA, the White House Communications Agency. His name is Jim Van Karen. Jimmy he, V. Jimmy V. If you're in the biz, you know Jimmy V. He's known around the world, really. And uh, Jimmy V has been rolling, as we say, or, or, or taking care of the teleprompting for presidents going farther back than President Clinton. And let me tell you, I've heard him tell stories about Bill Clinton's days because the man would just be off-roading. He, he, was, he was on the script and now he's nowhere. I don't know where to go. Jonathan, can you tell the story of the health care speech? Sure. September 22nd, uh, September 22nd, 1993. yep, 1993, Bill Clinton got up to deliver his addressed to a joint session of Congress. It was not a State of the Union. It was a special joint session of Congress where he was going to introduce his uh, universal health care plan. And in the teleprompter somehow was the speech from January uh, 27th, I think. No, February 17th. 2000, you said 2003. 1993. 1993, right. right. February 17th, 1993. Some, you know, nine months or eight months earlier, the, his joint session of Congress address just after he first took office. So the wrong speech in the teleprompter, Bill Clinton, for the first three, four, maybe five minutes, just winging it. Can I tell you? the joint session of Congress. I've had that they bad got dream. The right speech that is a night. What, what do you do? Uh, let me let me add what, one. You, in. What do you do? You you have, make sure Bill Clinton's up there winging a joint <laughs> session of Congress. Uh, Nate, uh, we'll take out the names, but but there's a, a a dialogue that is legendary among us Clinton staffers, which is one of the people deeply involved in the speech looked in the monitor, saw what was going on, uh, buried his head in his hands, and said, "This." is the worst thing that ever happened. I'm telling you, and, that would have been the worst thing and, that could and, ever and, happen. And another guy tapped him on the shoulder and said, but remember, the Holocaust is pretty bad, too. <laughs> <laughs> Can I tell you something? I want to pull the curtain back even further for uh, for people who are listening to us. And I want to ask you a question at the same time. When I was in the White House and we were doing the State of the Union address, we had um, you know fully redundant systems. We had two different computers, simultaneous people uh, rolling the prompters so that if one of those guys, you know, fell over or one of those computers went down, another one was backed up, that we were trying to leave nothing to chance. Were you, were, was there that kind of redundancy back in the Clinton administration as well? Not so much. <laughs> Not so much. So that was that was sort of born of bad experience. We knew we had to to, to do more, I guess. We learned from, from each other. Well, you know, they just recently uh, published the letter that... Uh, the first George Bush left to President Clinton uh, in the Oval Office when President Clinton assumed office. I, I don't know if this is true or not, but I, I, it's, I've heard told that President Clinton's note to President George W. Bush was just make sure they put the right speech in the teleprompter. <laughs> you know, it's funny because you say that President Clinton, and I think we know this about President Obama too, um, 
they want to change the script. It's a living document until the speech is given, right? Yeah, of course. Well, that means it has to get reloaded into the prompter. And if there are typos or the spacing, I mean, just the, the tension and the stress that goes into that is quite amazing. Now, the, 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 some of the interesting dramas to look for at this State of the Union are things I don't think we can uh, anticipate now, which are, one, it's going to be the first... Uh, it's going to be the first State of the Union in uh, Obama's administration in which the two other people visible to the camera at all times will not be of his party. So you that is Vice, a great point. You had, you had Vice President Biden, Speaker Pelosi, who would be leading every applause line. Now you're going to have this bifurcated uh, chorus behind him in Vice President Biden and Speaker Boehner. One will be applauding. One will be sitting on his hands. It'll be quite interesting. Other things are... Uh, the zinger that he levied at, at that Obama levied at uh, Justice Alito last year that was sort of news for days after and last uh, um, you know what will happen to uh, to the people in the gallery that we can't quite anticipate yeah hey Jonathan what do you think about uh, you know this idea that the president has really tried in, in a concerted messaging way to stay focused on the economy and jobs he's heard uh, and can literally feel as he takes uh, the floor of the house a, a different um, a different sort of energy there coming out of the the midterm elections of 2010 how does he make sure in this speech that he touches on the things he needs to touch on but doesn't end up getting an off headline that he didn't intend and can really say i said and i did what i meant we're going to focus on jobs and the economy well first of all i think that the most important thing that a president can do in a state of the union address is to demonstrate command and confidence uh as a little bit of a corollary to that, also to understand and reflect the moment in time. And so I think that as the president talks about the economy and talks about his agenda for moving the economy forward and for creating jobs, and he talks about it as he always does when he gives a, a big speech with the kind of natural command that uh, is just part and parcel of his character, I, I think, uh, you know, I expect he'll be able to do that to very good effect. Uh, in In terms of I mean, we were asking in terms of, you know, dealing with the kind of different structure of the house, the kind of different atmosphere of the house. Well, you know, J J Josh has pointed out that what people will see will be different behind him. We know that people may be sitting together and trying to sort of, you know, change the tenor and tone of the ups and downs and the clearly visually not Look, I, bipartisan response, but the president doesn't want to touch on one issue and just to have touched it, to check the box and have that become the whole story when really he was trying to give the most of his attention somewhere else. That's certainly true. I, I, look, I don't think that's really a worry for President Obama. Okay. I think that the, the challenge for him, as, the, as is the challenge for every president in the State of the Union address, is to demonstrate that he's on top of it overall and that he's got a plan for moving this country forward. And I expect that he'll do that because I because, you know, our experience with him as a candidate and as president has been that every major speech uh, is something that he rises to and does well. Well, I, uh, I have to say thank you, Jonathan Prince, for having come in and be a part of this inaugural broadcast on Polyoptics Radio. Uh, Joshua King, uh, I'm really excited for what we're undertaking here in being able to, to talk and focus uh, a lot of American political events through this lens and, uh, and really sort of pull back the curtain and dissect and, and, and do a lot of exploration of what we love most. Thank you both for being here on this, on this inaugural episode. <laughs> 
Politics is more than a science. It's art. POTUS. We are joined now by a very good friend of mine and somebody who has had a front seat to history in the making at the White House, a woman with whom I worked in the Bush administration. She was the director of media affairs. She was in charge of a huge portfolio of bringing the president's message and putting it out for not only the American people, but for the worldwide stage. Jeannie Mamo, now a consultant here in Washington, D.C., Welcome to Polyoptics. Thank you, Adam. Mamo. Belmar. All right. We are like two peas in a pod talking about something that we live and love. And, you know, this was a really exciting week in Washington, D.C., Jeannie. We've been through a lot of this, but we had a state visit on behalf of the uh, the Chinese government and the Chinese president. How did you think the whole thing came off? Well, first of all, it made me a little nostalgic, I got to tell you. Every time you see a big event at the White House like that, obviously you and I have been there before, and it makes you really nostalgic. So um, that's the first thing I thought, to be honest with you, is, wow, I know what they're going through. And it's uh, it's like, you know, a duck swimming where it's real calm on the top, but man, it is a nightmare behind the scenes. Let um, me tell you, because <laughs> there's so much that goes into what ends up being, I mean, from a polyoptics perspective, iconic images like the arrival ceremonies and some of the things we're going to talk about. My thought is that the the, the Obama White House did a first class job of receiving President Who. Agree, agree, and a, and a and something that was going to be watched by the world. Obviously, I mean, the the Chinese president, as everybody knows, is is unlike anybody else. A um, lot of. Uh, eyes looking at this one, a lot of criticism, a lot of potential for criticism. Um, is he going to bow? Things like that that have been... Uh, Absolutely right. Yeah. The, the the polyoptics, the, the, the imagery of this is so important because it transcends the policy in some ways, especially in the Chinese culture. Uh, President Bush was, was in China. President uh, Obama is the first in a long time of American presidents to actually have a state visit and to lavish really the, the highest form of, uh, of, of American pomp and, and circumstance for a, a foreign leader. Um, and really what we saw... I think is something that was about the perception. We wanted people to see that uh, we have a friendship with a growing and hopefully peaceful China. Uh, and President who certainly was all business while he was here. I'm not sure I saw a smile on that man's face. <laughs> Definitely not. Um, and I think, again, it goes back to what a difficult uh, task they had in front of them because it was going to be watched by everyone and every move and every where's the car going to park is he going to come in the front entrance the back entrance how's he going to walk down the hallway uh what's the press conference going to look like every single bit <laughs> well let's of this. break it down for people i mean we used to do this so if you're listening to polyoptics radio here on potus you you have to know that the stagecraft that goes into um an event like this there is a lot of history and a lot of uh, protocol behind it. And so some of these things really aren't open to interpretation, and yet there are variations on the themes as we will get to, just to sort of pull it apart. And one of the things I love about this show that we're doing here uh, on POTUS is that we are, this is a non-political show. I mean, it's all about politics, but it's not a partisan show, and we are going to show our true colors as uh, 
sort of stage craft experts when it comes to politics and, and be cynical because we're cynical whether we're, it's, it's our event or, or another. But when you when you look at the South Lawn of the White House, and I don't think a lot of people realize that the Chinese president arrived here at Andrews Air Force Base, was greeted by the chief of protocol and, and the rest of the delegation here in, in, in the White House and, and, and other the president wasn't there. He came for a very private working dinner in the White House in the old family dining room. That in and of itself as a first note of the trip is is almost unprecedented, isn't it, Jeannie? Um, I can't remember all the... Um, the president, President Bush, had private dinners, but I think, as you're saying, this is every single bit of this was paid attention to. And the questions were asked were if, if a, uh, another leader, say, Japan or Germany or um, Great Britain, for instance, yes, they're obviously extremely important state dinners, but I don't think they're picked apart like this one was. So they started with this very intimate family dining room, which is a very small, not often used part of the White House. It's not on the tour. You don't see it when you go through the White House. It's 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 something that has, has been reserved for functionality, but also for privacy. And the president, of course, can use it as discretion. We've seen some pictures there, very intimate, as I say. Um, and then the next day, there was this very grand, very formal, very organized uh, element of a state uh, visit, and it was the arrival ceremony. Uh, I want to sort of bring in some of the sounds of that, and, and it sort of you can hear the guns and the salutes. You remember what it's like to be back out there when that's going on, Jeannie? Oh my gosh, that's what I miss the most. I think is, don't you love America? Is that not? Oh, just it's an incredibly patriotic that, time. Yeah. You've got, in this case. The, the president of China has come out of his car. He's been received by the first lady and the president. They are now reviewing the troops. It is a, a very formal, very militaristic. And so in some ways, it's very at home for the for the president of China. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have all kinds of military and review events mm-hmm. in Beijing. But but very American. I mean, the fife and drum. The fife I mean, and I drum corps. I think that's corps. everyone's favorite is the fife and drum. Yeah. There's just something about the fife and drum corps. And when you stand out there and you look at because it's really large, which is which I think is hard to capture on television if you're if you're trying to capture the entire uh, totality of what the event is. You've got every single branch of the gov- of the military. Uh, represented, and they're all out there. That's right. Every branch of service is there. Mm-hmm. The presidents together, mm-hmm. uh, uh, trooping the line, uh, and then you have the fife and drum corps, uh, a very old and very important tradition here in the United States. And then you have many very important dignitaries. And you know what? You also had kids there. I mean, you see some right. of the pictures. And that's the thing I want to talk about mm-hmm. for a second, because this boils down to, in real time, no one was really watching this, right. but the pictures really mean everything, mm-hmm. and they go worldwide. This isn't mm-hmm. just for domestic uh, U.S. consumption, Jeannie. Talk a little bit about how far these pictures are going in an instant and where they land and how people digest them. Right, and that's a great point, Adam, because you know 
ninety percent of the American people are not sitting in front of uh, a television watching this thing live, and so the um, image comes from photographs, a snippet here, a snippet there, and those photographs are so important, which is why so much time goes into choreographing this thing, if you will, and the pictures go everywhere, and I mean in an instant. I mean even. You know, 10 years ago, they didn't go as fast as they do now. I mean, you you know, digital pictures can be all over the world in a matter of 30 seconds. You know, we say that uh, what we do here at POTUS is, is really the first draft of history. And news is like that. But in an instant, these images, these iconic images are instantaneously crystallized they're perceived in a certain way at that moment what what's the context how did i see it It, it, it's still unfolding but in the weeks months and years to come as you look at them they say so much about our relationship about where we were headed and about what the president thought was important Mm -hmm. back in january of 2011 Mm -hmm. in the in the in the broader con construct of his entire administration including the arc of what may be a narrative of a two-term presidency. When you did that, when you were at the White House with George W. Bush and you had state arrival ceremonies and things like that, did, were you thinking about a, a two-term presidency and a, and a narrative arc of what, you know, where this would, would land in, in the sort of hierarchy of what, what was going to happen across eight years or four years? What, what, what was going on at this point in the first term? I have to tell you, uh, and that's, that's the thing, is that that is what makes these jobs difficult. And once you've been in them, and I, I say this a lot privately to, to friends, is that once you've been in the White House, it doesn't matter, I don't think, what, and you come out of the White House, your, your politics, you might not agree politically with what's going on at the White House, but you have a sense of understanding for what they're going through, the difficulties that they have. And back to your question, you have to look at both. You have to worry about the event that's in front of you, and you have to get it done. You have to get it produced, if you will. You have to, every single T has to be crossed and I has to be done. I want to sort of break in because when you say produced, whether people want to or need to or (laughs) care to understand, these events are choreographed and they require producers. Like any show. They do. Uh, it has to be produced to the letter, and 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 again, it it you're looking at the production that's right in front of you, and really, honestly, at the time, you don't have time to think about how's it's going to look ten years from now. I mean, that's what you're thinking every single day, but you really don't have any idea what the iconic image is when it when it when it's produced. You hope for something. You hope and you set it up that way, but you never know. I mean, I don't think. Let's let's just take. You know the this uh, the Chinese arrival, yeah. and uh, Mrs. Mullen, uh, Admiral Mullen's wife, fainted. People, when you get that many people, people at a faint present, all the time. they absolutely do all the time. Those are the unpredictable elements, right? And you never, I mean, it, had she been on stage, that might have been the image, unfortunately. Right, that, but but it wasn't. But, but it wasn't, and she's fine, and thank God she's fine. Um, but you're right, people faint at a at every single event. You know just what was about. one of the images that I think it, it's not the iconic image, it's not the handshake, and it's not the expressions on the leaders' faces, and that's the thing. Uh, you really saw during this arrival ceremony a greater familiarity and perhaps even a bit of rapport between the two men that I didn't expect to see. I thought it was going to be this Mm stone-faced, sullen, monolithic, not humanistic character in in the president. Not that he's unknown to Americans, but he felt very at ease, I felt, in his Mm -hmm. own skin. But 
it was a school day, and President Obama's youngest daughter was in attendance with some school friends. What an amazing opportunity to witness a piece of history, to be the president's daughter. And she was dressed in a very regular kid's coat. And you know what? Her dad and the president of China came over to say hello. And yeah, there are pictures of friends. that. Yeah, Those special. Are, mm-hmm. That whole state visit, though, progressed along a normal uh, route, if you will, uh, and, and, and ended up with... Uh, a joint press conference in the East Room of the White House. Now, the President of the United States utilizes different rooms in the White House for different things, but a formal joint press conference with a foreign leader in the East Room, I'd have to say, I didn't expect it to look the way that it did. Were you taken aback uh, when you saw the way that this thing was staged? It wasn't the iconic cross-hallway behind them look. This was something different, wasn't it? It was, and I think that was planned. Well, Absolutely. T- t- describe it a bit. I mean, how is it different? <clears throat> well, for instance, you the the iconic photograph of most presidential press conferences, whether they're just the president himself or whether he's with a world leader, is straight down the cross hall. They walk straight down that red carpet. Exactly right. And that is the image. And, and they come up on this gold stage. In this case, there are two uh, podiums. They don't have the seal of the president. They have what we call the diplomatic seal. Um, to respect the the other world leader. And what we have here was it was oriented in a completely opposite fashion, mm-hmm. really. It was turned about 90 degrees um, clock counterclockwise. And they were against the gold drape on the south wall for you geeks like me <laughs> uh, who know the White House all too well. And they came in from the green room. I mean, it was a very unassuming and not very special entrance. You don't have the pictures of these two world leaders walking down that cross hallway. You know, the that night was, was the sort of penultimate moment of a state visit. It, it is the, the state dinner, um, and it is a very, very tightly choreographed affair with some of the most important people in the country in attendance from all different strata of life. Great people, guest list. Great guest list. I mean, you want to, who are some of your favorites? Uh, I got to say, I, Vera, Vera Wang, who her dress was phenomenal. Not that you want to talk about dresses, Adam, but. Well, I, there's one dress in particular <laughs> I do want to talk about. Uh, but um, Barbara Streisand, um, did you did you see what she said, which I thought was hilarious? They asked her, why did you get invited? And she said, I worked in a Chinese restaurant one time. <laughs> I did hear that. <laughs> which Somebody I thought told was awesome. She brought her, her hubby, James Brolin, but we also had a great number of uh, dignitaries from American political life. We had former President uh, Carter, former President Clinton, his wife, the current Secretary of State, all seated um, over with the President of the United States. A lot of American business. And yeah. let's not forget the imagery here was really sort of tweaked up for jobs and the mm-hmm, economy. Mm-hmm. They had a sit-down roundtable with American CEOs. Yeah. That was really something special, wasn't it? Yeah, and this uh, this is going back to the overall imagery of the White House. You can see the changes. I mean, Bill Daly's the new chief of staff. Bruce Reed, who uh, was formerly with the DLC, has come as the vice president's uh, chief of staff. So they're making changes, and definitely uh, I think they're concerned about jobs and business, which they should be, and they, they're working on those relationships. So that was definitely... Uh, not by accident. I want to use. I want to. I want, I want to talk about 
jobs in the economy and how it sort of surfaced here. The president uh, had been sort of, I don't know, he'd been bitten with some bad luck when he traveled abroad most recently. We, we saw him in Korea. He didn't get his trade agreement done the way that he wanted to. He couldn't talk about it. But here he had major concessions of $45 billion in, uh, in, in trade to talk about with the Chinese president here, talking to American CEOs, followed up just, you know, with even more about what he's doing to revitalize the American economy. And it all leads up to the most I used to call it the, the the sort of Super Bowl of politics every year, the State of the yeah. Union, which is coming up next week. What what do you expect to see there from a polyoptics perspective? I mean, how much of this narrative needs to be woven in to keep the president really looking like he's focused in the direction he says he is while he tends to the other business? You've been there. You know what it is to come up with a speech like this and to be a part of the messaging. So what's going on in the White House? Well, what I think, I mean, keep in mind, Adam, that uh, I think what's going to really sort of permeate this entire State of the Union is the fact of the tragic shooting of Congresswoman Giffords. And so I think um, there will be you know, there's this effort for, which I think they will, for the right and left Democrats and Republicans to sit together rather than sitting on opposite sides of the aisle. How impo- I mean, is this just something that's temporary? Is this going to last? And, and, and is it going to even look weirder? Where Because let's talk about it in, in reality. Yeah. Usually you got half the room sitting on their hands, half the room standing up applauding. But reality is that it's going to be a little bit more noticeable even when you're not in the wide shots. Why? Right. Because Nancy Pelosi is no longer the uh, the Speaker of the House. There's a Republican sitting back right. there. Right. We've got Vice President Biden and John Boehner. And I'm here to tell you, there's a Republican and Democrat sitting next to one another behind the president, and they ain't going to be getting up at the same time, Jeannie. True. This is true. And and look, I'm all for them sitting together. I think that's great. I think that is fine. I think that um, discourse um, probably needs to cool it a little bit. But look, we have differences. Republicans and Democrats have differences. They're policy differences. Now, I agree with John Boehner, who says we ought to be able to agree be disagreeable. Uh, we can disagree without being disagreeable. Exactly. Exactly. Well, that, that may well be some language we hear from the president yeah. uh, at the State of the Union. But this event, and this is what I love about the State of the Union, it always looks the same it, 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 in, in many ways. Yeah. But it's the subtleties and the differences that make it profoundly your own. Mm-hmm. This president and how he looks. And I, and I hate to say this, but you know, is he looking a little gaunt? Is he too thin? Has he really grayed up? America's checking in in a way that right. they don't check in yeah. a lot. Oh yeah, that's right. I mean, that is that is an excellent point. People will be looking to see: has he turned gray? Is he thin? Um, you know, you, you know, I've read that he's thin, but I I think he looks fine. I do. I mean, every president grays, so yeah, he has definitely grayed. Um, I think though, I I do think he has a little bit of a bounce. Can in I his share step. a story with you? Sure. When I was at the White House with you, one of my jobs was to make sure that what the tie the president would wear wouldn't moray. Right. You know, when you look at it on television, sometimes certain patterns just don't do well on camera. But you really don't know until you look at them. And it's not a, it's a very 
subjective thing. It's the camera and the lighting and all of it. And so we'd run up there and we'd check out all the different ties and we'd send them back down to the White House less than two hours before the thing and say, okay, these three ties would work. <laughs> Give them to the president. Let them choose one. I mean, that, that yeah. that's going on in the background. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's the amazing thing are things as you think are as unimportant as a tie, but a tie can be extremely important. What else can be important in the State of the Union? The First Lady's box, right? Right. Talk about that for a second. What's that about? Yeah, and I think it's funny. I sent an email to somebody the other day saying um, I would imagine that a lot of people from Arizona will be in that box, if I just had to guess. Um, A lot of heroes that day. That intern, he may be there. The intern will be there. Some first responders, maybe. Yeah, I think the the three individuals who really did stop this gunman will be there. But besides Um, the the individual people, it, it is part of the narrative and the imagery of the night. Right. Um, and right. there's a real effort on the part of the White House, any White House, to get the uh, stories behind those people and their interaction or support of or how they typify a certain policy mm-hmm. out there to the press, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So this is real choreographed. It is. It's definitely choreographed. And sometimes you have very high profile, as I just mentioned, the Arizona heroes, which are high profile, and most people by now have seen them on TV. But then there are also local stories. There are local heroes. Somebody from you know Des Moines, Iowa, who runs a food bank. And if the president's, whatever his uh, policy issue is, he may use that person to... Uh, illustrate his policy and it and it's and it actually everybody knows you know it's much easier to tell a story with a human being than to just run your mouth there is there is no other place on radio terrestrial or satellite or anywhere else where we really dig in like we're doing here on polyoptics and genie mamo i really you're going to be a big fixture and a big part of this radio show Mamo! Belmar! Thank you for being with us. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. I appreciate it. So that's it for Polyoptics. I'm Adam Belmar. I greatly enjoyed this conversation. I hope that you will be with us every weekend as we explore the Polyoptics here on POTUS. And I hope also you will join us Tuesday night for special live coverage of President Obama's State of the Union Address. Sirius 110, XM 130, Politics of the United States.